Hello, everyone. My name is Patrick. I'm Tony. And we're here to lead you out of the cave and on the path to the cross, uh, inspiring you to read your philosophy, even though uh, it might be difficult. Uh, that's what we're here for. Uh, we're trying to do the heavy lifting for you so that you can enjoy uh, all the plethora of good books that, uh, that we've had the joy of reading. So uh, thanks for joining us along the way. And uh, we're, we're just here to have a nice little Bible study. And we're currently a well, uh, book study, a little book club on uh, Mitch Stokes' How to Be an Atheist, Why Many Skeptics Aren't Skeptical Enough, and we're, we're getting towards the end. Uh, we've covered uh, uh, science and how uh, the, the Christian God is the best explanation for trusting in science and how the atheistic worldview and atheism tends to not be skeptical enough uh, in the confines of their worldview. Yeah. And we've covered uh, morality and, and kind of showed uh, that uh, having an objective standard within uh, the atheist framework uh, doesn't quite work. Uh, it still relies on a lot of subjectivity, and a lot of atheists are okay with that, and we've covered that as well as far as implications to that. And so uh, now uh, Dr. Stokes is going to uh, try and ground uh, value in God. And, of course, he would because he is a Christian. He's not actually trying to convince us to be atheists, but uh, that... Uh, that uh, right. How to be an atheist is <laughs> yeah. not really about how to be an atheist. Right. Actually, it's how to be a good atheist, which means that you fail. <laughs> exactly. An atheist, yes. right? Yes. It's like uh, uh, when, when you when you look at the uh, the Quran and it tells you to, to, to trust the, uh, the people of the book, and the people of the book is us, and we... Uh, we say that Jesus is the, the way, the truth, and the life, and so then it, you know, knocks out the the crown through through that. So, uh, so we're we're um, we're trying to ground uh, value in uh, the the person of God, and so uh, he's he's made the case that uh, objective morality um, can uh, is found in uh, what people value in in the uh, almost the, uh, a subjective value. And that uh, in order to have value, you need those who value things. And so valuers, valuers. Right. Yeah. And so um, <clears throat> is, he's going to make the case today, uh, hopefully, of, of God being the ultimate valuer. And so uh, we, we come up with a, a big objection to that. And, and that's kind of been known. Um, boy, I mean, that uh, the, once we get into this, I mean, this this was the first book of philosophy that I I read in college of, wow. of the the death the, the trial and death of Socrates and uh, I learned that um, defining your terms is important so so we're going to get into that today so uh, this is chapter seventeen can God ground morality and so uh, he's just going to summarize his view that the foundations of morality and all value and moral value in particular is subjective and that all value depends on a valuer as we were saying. All morality is ultimately personal. By definition, then, uh, there is no impersonal value or value from the point of view of the universe. So, uh, you know, it, uh, the, the example of gold, you know, is gold in the ground of value? Well, it depends on who's looking at it. Right. It's just, you know. Uh, so the universe doesn't right. doesn't create value, <laughs> right? Right. right. you got to have a valuer. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's, it's not like in a video game where there's, you know, a hovering circle and says, you know, dig here. It's, <laughs> it's whether or not you, you, you want to dig there. So uh, we, we also looked at uh, that science cannot determine human values and that science can't tell me what to desire. There's no test for it. There's no ob objective, you know, sitting down uh, with a scratch test or uh, a Petri dish and, and coming down to, uh, to figure out, you know, oh, this is what I must value. 
but value is subjective even if something like traditional theism is true. Oh, that's almost a provocative statement because we, <laughs> we tend not to uh, want to talk about subjective things. Uh, but uh, God values certain states of affairs, and we, we come to know this because uh, that's what the Bible uh, tells us, or uh, that's what he uh, commands us to behave in accordance with these values. And this is what, according to many theists, makes such a behavior obligatory. So that uh, that's the things w- that we must do. And so uh, this has uh, come to, to, to be defined as the divine command theory of ethics. And um, this, I mean, this is pretty standard, uh, you know, uh, yeah. The, the de- God decrees things and, and holds us accountable for those decrees. And he says that um, that we must do certain actions or not do certain actions based on what he views as important. So either, um, you know, uh, he, he values all life, so we should take care of the, the, the orphans and the widows. And then there's also the command right. then to... I want you, the church, to take care of orphans and widows. So there's kind of two aspects of that, things that God values and then the commands that he derives from that. So we'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, and so we come to the uh, youthful objection uh, that we'll, we'll discuss later on here. Uh, but many pe- people believe that this youthful objection shows that God cannot ground morality. In fact, the objection is often thought to be the Achilles heel of religious ethics. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. my subjective view of value appears to increase the power of the objection. Wow, Ooh. Wow. So, so he's so, got a big hurdle. Yeah, here. he's going to need a, a big stick to hurdle <laughs> over this. And so hopefully he's going to give us an explanation of why um, the youthful objection uh, tends to uh, not be as big of a deal as what it is. Right, yeah. So in order to understand the youthful objection, we need to. So the youthful objection, it's a platonic dialogue, right? Socrates is talking with youthful. Youthful comes out. Of, uh, I think he comes out of the court. He's bragging about how he, you know, has participated in justice because his father had killed one of his slaves, and he testifies against his father. And yeah, you know, and so they begin this dialogue about well, what is justice and that sort of thing. And so that's yeah. where we get to it. But um, before we get to that, we need to understand the divine command theory. What exactly mm-hmm. is that, and how does that work, right? And so that's the first thing that he wants us to do. Right. There's two aspects of it, and this is kind of an interesting way to put it, because oftentimes there's usually just one aspect when you when you look at right. this, that it has to do with God's command, his will, and that sort of thing. But I like the way he, he puts this together. He says there's two aspects of it. First of all, there's the ground of moral values, And the ground of moral values is grounded in God's nature, who God is, right? So God is a certain kind of person, right? He has certain characteristic. He has a certain nature. And so that's the ground of moral values. God's own holy and loving nature supplies the absolute standard. He's quoting William Lane Craig here. Mm -hmm. uh, Supplies the absolute standard against which all actions are measured. So his holy character, his holy nature is the standard. Mm-hmm. It's the standard, right? So that's that's the, the first part, the grounding of, um, of morality, right? So he says that uh, value and moral goodness and moral badness and all of these things are determined by God's nature the way God is. So this is the first part. Secondly, and this is kind of, this is usually the, the only one that people talk right. about, yep. right? Um, uh, is... Uh, we have to ask, well, which actions are permitted or forbidden or obligatory, right? In other words, how do we know what God wants us to do, right? And so this is the expression 
of the morally right thing or wrong thing mm -hmm. to do, right? So he says that the rightness or wrongness of an act is, again, determined by God's nature, by what he likes or dislikes. But what makes these actions, you know, per permitted or forbidden is what God commands us to do. So we have the foundation in God's nature, and then we have the command from God to tell us what the what the what his nature is like and what he wants us to do what mm -hmm. is forbidden what is obligatory and that sort of thing yeah. and you can kind of think of this too because uh, you know you, you can derive uh shoulds and should nots from his principal character so you know uh you know i i'm i'm love so we should be loving uh we, you know we can d derive principles from that but there are other principle or other uh shoulds and should nots that you know uh that that we can't always derive from that so the like the sacrificial system that he sets up that that's a command to to say hey here's something that's pointing towards you know the, the forgiveness of sin that will ultimately result in the messiah coming and so he sets up a command of you should should do this to to, to Moses and, and the rest of the Israelites. And so then he also then qualifies it that says, you know, the the, the sacrifice of bulls and goats, I, I don't care about in the sense that of just doing it, but that it's always pointing towards something. And so it's not to have this this, you know, deadpan, not understanding, you know, <laughs> if I just do this, then I'm right with God. No, there's a hard aspect to that. And so you wouldn't get that just from the, the, the characteristics of, of God. So he, mm. he commands certain things. So those are kind of the two. Mm. You're right. I think he does a really good job where, where I think a lot of people, you know, don't, yeah, don't do yeah, that. They, they, they usually just look at one aspect of it. Right? right. And so he says, so, you know, basically he says, and again, he's quoting William Lane Craig here. God's moral nature is expressed toward us in the form of divine command. So we find out what God's what God wants us to do as a result of his command he expresses that right but the foundation is God's nature right that's that's the foundation so the command is the expression the foundation the nature is the foundation so the foundation of the theory is what God wills values desires and prefers so it's so God whose nature is the standard he is a valuer, the ultimate valuer, and so he, um, and then he tells us, he expresses that through his commands. That's the basic idea. Mm -hmm. So in other words, the reason God prefers some things over others is that this is just what he is like. This is just, you know, the kind of being that God is. This is, you know, his, his nature. He says uh, that it might then be better to call the theory the divine, the divine nature theory mm -hmm. of ethics as opposed to divine command theory. Right? Right. So, so that's the emphasis here that he makes that I think is, a, you know, you, if you just think of the commands, you think of what God is saying. Mm -hmm. right? And I think it's easy to defeat that kind of, uh, you know, position. Right. right? It, 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 it subjects itself to some of the... the uh, easier anyway to some of the objections that we're going to see right. but if you see if you say that it's both it's both has to do with god's nature that's the standard and his command you know i think it, it kind of beefs up the theory so the divine nature theory that that's you know that's good that's a good way to put it although he's going to continue to say divine command theory because that's the traditional way right. to do it right yeah so it just also stops people from saying well you know the bible doesn't say that so you can do whatever you want and, right. you know there's christian liberty in that then it's like well okay but we also have to measure it to you know uh not everything that's permissible is also beneficial so yeah. There, yeah. there's there's kind of that aspect to yeah. it too so we so uh, so the the values the what god desires the, st the foundation, the standard of ethics is, is who God is. 
And then he tells us that through his commands, right? That's how we determine. That's how it's expressed. That's how we come to know mm-hmm. what he wants, right? And, and what we should do or not do. Right, right. So what is the Euthyro objection? So we kind of covered it a little bit here. Socrates is talking to Euthyro, and, uh, you know, he's, ta- he's bragging about being pious. So, you know, it's, it's good to be pious. And Socrates in Socratarian fashion goes, well, what is piety? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I, I just remember that this, the, the, the very first uh, dialogue part is um, he points to his, his action as, as being what piety is. Right. Like, okay, well, that's an example of what piety is to you. But what is the <laughs> definition? So, yeah. again, it's always good to define, define your terms here. Uh, so the the uh, characteristic form realizes uh, that uh, this definition is ambiguous. Are acts pious because gods the, the gods? Uh, remember, they're talking about the pantheistic uh, universe here. These, these are the Greeks. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> are, are acts pious because the gods love them, or do the gods love them because the acts are pious? So that's the dilemma, right? It is right, um, and so uh, yeah. So he he goes into. Um, explanation. So uh, I won't give my take on it. So either option seems to uh, put the believer in an awkward spot. On the first hand, what makes an act pious? The gods love the act. Then the god defines what acts are pious. But what if the gods had happened to love rape? Then rape would be a pious act. So yeah. So so you know do do is it just uh, you know at a whim? Does does God tell us to to love our neighbors because? You know, uh, at at that point in the universe, God just, he just made happens up. to love that. He, he, right? he yeah. just he just made that because you know. Well, you know, why why do you like you know chocolate ice cream? Well, I like chocolate ice cream because um, today is whatever day. It right? Is. Or <laughs> yeah, I, I'm in a mood, or I can point it back to uh, you know my childhood, and that was the very first ice cream cone that I had. Or maybe I don't know. Maybe I just like chocolate ice cream the best because I do. And so that that's the that's the argument against it. The second option isn't much better. According to this option, it's inherent. In, it's inherently the piety of the act that makes or explains why the gods love it. That is, the piety of an act is independent of the gods. The gods don't get to determine or define which acts are pious. They must consult some standard outside themselves. And for the the you know the the pantheon of of the Greeks, eh, you know, that's not really a, a bad thing because of how their kind of universe is structured and. You know, uh, th- th- there's no start point for them as far as what uh, what creation goes to. But for us, for the Christian God, as being outside the universe and a, 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 a focal point for creation, uh, who is he appealing to? And if he's appealing to some other person, and this is kind of a critique sometimes that people have of William and Craig's understanding of, of God, is that, you know, if, if God has to... Um, Play the hand he was dealt. Well, who's the dealer? You know, who's the house? <laughs> yeah. we, we, we need to start worshiping whoever is dictating right. to God. Yeah. What We want to get on the good side of the dealer. Right, right. right. <laughs> is, is, is there some, you know, secondary universe that God exists in that he's pulling these attributes or these commands from? So it's, it's, uh, it's a, uh, a, a point of contention that we don't really want this either because of, of who God is, the definition of God, and everything like that. Yeah, so, so that's basically the idea, right? On, on the one hand of the horn of the dilemma is, uh, is, well, God can whimsically love any 
something, and that becomes, you know, good, right, or pious and for, for uh, Euthro and Socrates. On the other hand, we have something that's independent of God, and so God has to appeal to that in terms of what is good, in the same way that we would appeal to something, right? So that's kind of the issue here. Yeah. And for the believer, both things seem to be problems because we want more than just some type of whatever God thinks at the moment, that's what's good. Right. And um, but we also but and so we don't like that. And we also don't like the fact then that uh, the the other hand of the dilemma, the other horn of the dilemma, rather, is that something independent that God has to appeal to because we want God to be the ultimate, you know, the ultimate reality, the ultimate value. And that's what he claims to be. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the euthoral objection. There is two parts and neither one of them feel good. Right. And you right. must choose either one. Right? That's right. Yeah. So it's a dilemma, yeah. which is two, right? <laughs> and so it, it, it lends itself to uh, the arbitrary, mm-hmm. you know, objection. And so that's where we want to uh, look at. Right. So, all right. So the horns of dilemma are of arbitrariness. He says, now most divine command theorists have traditionally chosen the first horn of the, the dilemma, right? That is what makes it right to care for the poor is that God likes it. And, of course, you know, the dilemma is saying, well, God could like anything, mm-hmm. rape, whatever, and then that would make it right, right? That's the, that's kind of the arbitrarily God could determine whatever, and that becomes good, right? So that's, uh, that's what makes it right to, to care for the poor. Moreover, his preference gets turned into one of our obligation by way of his commanding us to take care of the poor. Mm-hmm. So God arbitrarily decides this, and then he commands us to, to do it, right? Now that's the first horn of the dilemma. He says he thinks that's the right horn to to focus in on for the uh, for for the believer, right? In other words, uh, we can see how this traditional choice is consistent with the view that all moral value is subjective, mm-hmm. right? It's subjective. It's based on God's subjective choice in this situation, right? How moral value is dependent or grounded um, by a valuing subject or mind. Because I think also to take the other approach then would be to kind of grant what what he's as as what we covered at the very beginning that the universe doesn't just value gold and so therefore it's it's profitable so he wants to stay away from that because it, it's not fitting the definition that he's laid out as right. what value is somehow the other choice is somehow there's something independent of god that god has to appeal to in order and in, 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 in the same way that we would in order to make something morally right or wrong or or that or value mm-hmm. and that sort of thing so moral values he says then um is objective and that it is entirely independent of what we think. Right? We as humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea of objectivity is independent with mm-hmm. regard to humans. It's independent of us, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, um, objectively speaking, Mount Everest is the highest mountain, you know, above sea level on, on, the, on the planet. What, what if I don't believe that? So what? Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right? what you believe. Yeah. What if my culture doesn't teach that? So what? Right? Mm -hmm. Objectively speaking, independent of what I believe, independent of my, you know, uh, opinions or what my culture thinks, Mount Everest is the highest mountain above sea level. And so uh, objectivity has to do with independence of what we think, right? And so if, if it's based on what God, what God, who God is, we haven't gotten there yet. Right. But unless, uh, <laughs> if it's based on, you know, the, the idea that God's choice, he commands that, then clearly it's objective because it's independent of 
us folk, right? right. Human beings, right? right? And so for, for all the people that have commented in, in, in on the videos before saying, oh, you just trade one subjective valuer, us, for another god. Uh, well, you know, in some sense, n now you get, get where we're coming from, right. um, and you just need to wait just a little while longer. Uh, so in one sense, you're correct. However, I believe that there's more to it than just God just being a whimsical uh, fairy who says, okay, now don't rape. Okay, thanks. Yeah. yeah. And so, he, you know, he, and he really wants us to understand this point, right? He says there are no impersonal laws of morality independent of what anyone at all values, right? You have to have a valuer, he's suggesting, mm -hmm. in order to have, um, you know, morality, laws of morality. You have to have someone that is valuating something. All right, so that's it. So then the question then is what about then this arbitrariness, right? God can arbitrarily, you know, say whatever, mm -hmm. and that becomes uh, what we have. He says this, um, this was the problem with the dilemma's first horn. Here I think the theist should concede so he thinks we should concede <laughs> that if God had commanded us to torture cats, for instance, then uh, torturing cats would be our obligation to do, right? Of course, according to traditional theism, God's nature is necessary, and God is therefore constrained, right, by his nature, which is independent of him. By the way, which isn't independent of him, right, uh, to uh, abhor the torture of cats. <laughs> so our kittens get 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 gets a pass, oh, right? Darn. <laughs> right? Fine. Yeah, and this wouldn't really be um, much of a concession. So notice, right. he's suggesting that God's nature is necessary, and God therefore is constrained by His nature. God can only go as do and and, and value what His nature. So, for instance, the scriptures say that God cannot lie. Mm -hmm. right? Right. There are things that God cannot do. He is constrained. He is He is the embodiment of truth, right? And so he is constrained by his nature. He can only do and be who he is. Right. He can't be anything else. So I think that, that illustrates a good point, and uh, that that uh, God shall not lie is, is a perfect example. So if God commanded us to, to lie, that that it's it's that that's what He wants us to do. Sh should we do it? Yes, is what He's saying. However, there's a kicker behind it which is the character characteristics, the nature of God being as a person who cannot lie. So if he commanded us to lie, should we? Yes. Could he have done that? It's no. not within God's nature, right, so no. Right. So oftentimes people, you know, stumble over this. Well, God can do anything. Well, no, not really. Yeah. Right? He is constrained by who he is, mm -hmm. right? And so lying is not is not an option. Right. right? Can, can God make himself to be less than himself? Right. No. Right. right. That's, that's, yeah, that's yeah. kind of. So yeah. there are a lot of things God cannot do, and we're completely fine with that, and we want that to be the case. We we, we don't have this understanding that, that uh, the kind of this, this um, trans transcendent of his own nature that kind of uh, uh, Allah of, of the Muslims have where he's even above his own word. And so he could then come out and, and be against what he said, you know, 15 seconds ago. Um, we don't have that that type of God and we wouldn't want that type of God because we want to be able to trust in him, uh, understand what he's saying and and have a consistent nature that he calls us to as well. Yeah, yeah. So the question then, uh, does the divine command theory then imply that morality is ultimately arbitrary, he asked. 
And he says that depends on what we mean by arbitrary, <laughs> right? If we mean that morality is based on or determined by individual preferences or convenience rather than by necessity, right, mm -hmm. the necessity of God's nature or the intrinsic nature of something, right, then perhaps technically, yeah, it's arbitrary. That is, morality is based on God's preferences and not on the intrinsic nature of an impersonal cosmos, an impersonal universe, right? No, it's based on God's preferences, right? It's not out there somewhere. It's in him, mm -hmm. right? On the other hand, God's preferences, he says, can also be said to be the result of his, intrin of his intrinsic nature, which dicks uh, dictates his preferences. So if value depends on the subject who values, then this kind of arbitrariness will be the what uh, what's entirely expected, mm -hmm. right? Because it depends on the person. It depends on a value or it depends right. on, you know, the subject who values. Right. 